Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Back. I am very grateful for all of you who were so appreciative of the podcast that I did the other day solo on uh, getting rich and staying rich. I really appreciate the great feedback. I got a lot of great messages on Instagram. I suspected the message would be timely considering what's happening in the overall economy, um, but not to the level in which you guys were thanking me. So thank you very much. I really do sincerely appreciate it. I think you can tell that this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart because at the end of the day, when you really cut through all the malaise and all the haze and all the ego and all the wanting to be an influencer and all the other stuff that's out there, what all of us truly want, what our souls truly desire more than anything is to be free. And free from what? Free from having to worry about money. Free from worrying about having to worry about work. Free from having to worry about you know, feeling time starved. Freedom from worrying about guilt for not spending time with your family because you have to go out there and work. Freedom from... The, you know, the tyranny of your ego think, you know, trying to pressure you into doing things that you'd rather not do when you don't want to do them. And, and ultimately, all that stuff comes on the other side of long periods of time of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And along those lines, I want to prove to you guys that Julie and I do what we say, um, and we don't just say these nice fancy words and sayings that we've thought up over the last 30 years. We actually live by them. Turns out that Julie and I and Zoe and my, my, probably my mom all have COVID and uh, Julie is down for the count. That's the reason she's not on the podcast today and hasn't been this week is because she's getting it. She's gotten it pretty bad, but she's on the mend. Um, Zoe the same and I've got it, but fortunately I'm pretty much asymptomatic. Um, <laughs> no surprise there, I guess. So at the end of the day, we are doing what we don't want to do when we don't want to do it at the highest level. Now I'm not suggesting you work when you're sick, but I'm just hopefully giving you guys an example of, again, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. It's not that I don't want to do this podcast. It's this that I'm sure I'd rather be, you know, frankly, uh, you know, laid up someplace trying to make myself feel a little bit less sick. But I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this at a high level, and I want you guys to hold me accountable to it. So this podcast is focused on, we use the word rich, and so let me start out with giving you a definition of the word rich that will, I think, for a lot of you, be a relief. It was for Julie and I when we figured it out. The definition of rich, I have COVID brain a little bit, so bear with me. The definition of rich is simply where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. Now, I think personally, that's a revelation for all of us because there's so much baggage that's associated with the word rich, especially now that there's so much, let's just use the words that are appropriate, right? Socialism and Marxism and uh, communalism and redistribution mindsets and all this you know, rich staking from the poor and all this Mickey Mouse about, you know, in order for someone to be rich, somebody else has to be poor. All this sort of type of thinking that's really always been in society, every society. But now it's, I think, very omnipresent in society because it's a political midterm election year. So some of you who might want to be rich where you're free, where you no longer where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money. You're finding that that's actually not even being reinforced in any way societally. And so it makes you feel estranged from the other people in your life. Someone asked me on YouTube, they said, uh, the question was, why is it that your friends rejected you when you were, when you, you and Julie became very successful selling real estate? 
And I, I, I apologize if I didn't explain that uh, well enough, and I'll try to do it now. Wish me luck. It's because we made them uncomfortable. We didn't do it overtly. We weren't showing up and, you know, putting our success in their faces. They knew it. They could tell from, you know, real estate, right? They saw our signs everywhere. They knew we changed from talking to us. They knew we changed because I'm sure that we radiated a different energy for my, you know, woo-woo folks. I'm sure that's what was going on. And they sensed it, and it made them uncomfortable. Because at the time, remember, this was in our early 20s, most of them were on, you know, long-term educational paths. Some of them were, uh, you know, on long-term career paths, those types of things. So for Julie and I to break the mold and not be like them, it made them insecure. So it's not that they just, like, decided to make Julie and I America's most wanted and hate us. It's not that. It's just that they chose to disassociate with us because we made them uncomfortable because, frankly, we were making them or maybe putting them in a position where they were having to question their own decisions about their own lives, especially when it comes to earning money. And uh, they didn't want to. It made them uncomfortable. So what they did is they just gravitated towards other people that thought like they did. Tribalism. That's what I'm trying to express. Now, I think I also, or at least I try to, really drill down on the fact that most of those folks came back in our lives over time and were thankful, overtly in some cases, for the fact that Julie and I were uh, we're able to do what we did because we gave them proof. I mean, I, I actually had one of them or maybe even more than one actually say, you know what, Tim and Julie, I knew you guys in high school. Julie and I met in high school. I knew you guys in high school. And you know what? To see what you guys have done with your lives, I never would have guessed that knowing you guys in high school, which I think is kind of an insult, but it's also kind of a compliment. And then the tail end of that was, in essence, when I saw that you guys could do it, I decided to do something great too. Um, and I won't say any more than that because I know that person listens to the podcast, but really at the end of the day, those are the types of experiences that all of you will have if you're willing to be the crab that decides to get out of the bucket. And again, I know that's a kind of a, I don't know, it, it, when I say it, I, I know that some people are taking offense to it. Don't be offended. It's just an interesting little thing that happens. You put a bunch of crabs in a bucket. One of the crabs tries to get out of the bucket. The other crabs pull the crab that's trying to escape back into the bucket um, and that's what happens a lot of time in our lives. We try to break free. We want to be free. We don't even have a clear definition of, of why we want to earn more money and be more successful. And when you're younger, it's because you want to buy stuff because you want to improve your lifestyle because you want to do all these types of things, materialism. And you know what? That is a fantastic motivation. Materialism and wanting more things is an incredible uh, way of motivating yourself. And I'm going to give you guys a little uh, relief valve. Uh, for those of you who are being made to feel guilty for being materialistic or who are maybe confused about the fact that you are materialistic and motivated by stuff. Here it is. Ready? By the way, I learned this from Deepak Chopra. We are all spiritual beings in a physical incarnation. We're all spiritual beings in a physical incarnation. This is Deepak. And so we all need stuff. We need houses. We need shoes. We need cars. We need food. We need, you know, microphones and computers and recording devices and iPods and all the rest of it. We need all of that stuff to exist in society nowadays and just to survive. So you might as well have the nicest stuff that you can possibly afford. You, if you're going to need a house, why not have a really nice house with a beautiful view? If you're going to buy, if you need a car, why don't you figure out a way to be of service to enough people so then you can go out and buy a car that is something that you really get excited about, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, modify all these examples for your own use. Well, here's a great one. How about this? Um, if you're going to go on a plane, why don't you figure out how to always fly business or first class and never have to buy, uh, fly back in coach? The difference is worth it every single time. It's absolutely worth it. 
Don't you deserve it? You do. So what's the difference between the person that's choosing to spend the money to go and fly in first class versus the person that's choosing not to? Well, in a lot of cases, if the person is choosing not to has the money that chooses not to, maybe that's somebody who hasn't quite gotten around the idea that it's okay for them to have money. It's okay for them to have a better quality of life. They don't need to feel guilty about it. They don't need to feel bad about it. They don't need to feel like they're showing off. They don't need to feel like they're trying to make other people feel bad or inferior to them. What they really should see their success as is a light for others to follow. Again, my example of Julie and I back in high school. And, you know, so that's what's really fascinating. One of the greatest attributes of uh, our society, our country, has always been the fact that it leaves room for people to essentially create things in their lives, businesses and otherwise, that are around their own personal fulfillment, around their own personal betterment. There's not a real strong yet overlay of communalism or redistribution. You can still, and people from all over the world come to the United States, not just because they want to be part of America, but because they want to get rich. What does rich mean? It means they want to be free, where their money works for them and no longer work for their money. So if you, uh, you know, I gave you guys a long list of questions yesterday. There were some more questions. I might go to the, back to that list today. But really, when I was thinking about, based on the feedback that you guys sent me, um, and this is kind of a fluid series of podcasts, obviously, because I wasn't, you know, Julie and I were planning on presenting something else to you guys this week. But as I said, everybody has go COVID, so... Um, I wrote a list, and I think this was really great, and um, hopefully you guys will agree. This is a list of the greatest wealth destroyers. So we're going to talk, we talked a lot about mindset, about accumulating wealth. We are going to get into uh, the specific mechanics of wealth accumulation. I've written a ton of notes. I just don't frankly feel like presenting it today because some of it's too technical, um, and I don't have my mind drilled down enough to do it. So what I wrote down is a list of what I see as the greatest wealth destroyers. These are the things that you need to look out for that will take your wealth away from you once you actually have it. And I put these in no particular order, and I'm going to present these to you guys now. Some of them are self-explanatory. Others are going to require some more uh, drilling down. So these are, uh, from my personal experience, but also my experience of having over 100,000 coaching calls, being in the coaching industry forever, and really, I'd say most of this experience comes from befriending and becoming friends with people who are vastly more superior, uh, superior, listen to me, um, successful than Julie and I. Well, financially, they're superior, right? So that wasn't a, that's a correct word. But people who have multiple planes, people who have multiple yachts, people who have billions of dollars. Julie and I are blessed to know some people that are incredibly wealthy. And uh, these are the types of things and thoughts that I've, I've gleaned from them that I'm going to share with you. So here's the thing. It's easier to earn money than it is to keep it. I think many of you are experiencing that, aren't you? <laughs> For a whole variety of reasons. So here are the reasons that I've seen over the years that people will earn it and then lose it. But let's first start out talking about our old friend Warren Buffett. And, you know, Warren Buffett is, without a doubt, an American icon. So is his partner, Charlie Munger. And this is the reason Julie and I reference him all the time. They have an unbelievably powerful way of cutting through BS and being right consistently for like a hundred years. It's unbelievable. So one of the things that Warren Buffett talks about is he said uh, that America loves to celebrate the comeback story. They love, everyone loves, there's movies made, books written about the person who made it, lost it, made it, lost it. It's almost like there's an expectation in life that you cannot have ever-increasing levels of success. There's some unwritten rule in our society that says once you can only be successful for a certain amount of time, followed by a long period of being unsuccessful and oftentimes losing what it was that you gained in the first place. 
That is how a lot of people are hardwired to believe that their success uh, is supposed to last. They don't believe that they can have ever-increasing levels of success, improving qualities of lives, health, fitness, you know, uh, wealth, obviously, relationships. They don't believe that they can be improving every single year uh, increasingly over long periods of time. And you've seen this maybe in yourselves or you've seen this with other people. I've seen it on the coaching side, right? You'll see people that are successful under a certain set of parameters. And we're coming out of one of those now. There will be people who are only successful given the nature of the uh, past market with super low interest rates. And now guess what? Inflation, hey, like Tim and Julie have been telling you for three years, is going to be continue, it's going to increase. Inflation is going to be a constant omnipresent thing in our lives for at least the next 10 years. You can hold me accountable to that because it's true. No one else in the politics is going to tell you that, but it's true. The time that we're in now is mirroring 1967 to 1982. The last time we had inflation like this was exactly what happened back then. The Fed's going to continue to raise rates. The economy is going to start to really crater. The Fed's going to back off because the Fed is not going to be able to be, uh, you know, essentially if the, the rates go up, the economy goes down, the economy is going to go down further and harder than what the Fed is predicting. And then the Fed is going to then do some form of easing by the form of lowering interest rates to heat the economy back up. And that is going to be a cycle that's going to continue for a long period of time until you have somebody who's actually willing to force America to take the true bitter medicine and truly raise interest rates that, in, in our humble opinion, that's not going to happen for a long, long time. And there really are, there's no easy paths out of the problem that the country has right now with inflation. But you are in, and I'll get back on track here in a second, you are in the right industry because in real estate, especially now with demographics, with baby boomers and millennials and you know Generation X, Julie and I's generation, there are so many people that want to buy or sell real estate, and that does not stop no matter what the interest rates are. It does slow down, but it doesn't stop. The skill sets necessary in a changing market like this absolutely change. And that's the reason we made Premier Coaching free for all of you. We made Premier Coaching free because we knew so many of you would be desperate looking for a direction, what to go, uh, which direction to go in, in the real estate industry. A lot of you right now are setting yourselves up for, intuitively you know what I'm saying is true, for a big fall. Remember I was telling you, a lot of people think they can have long, you know, short periods of success, short periods of failure, or longer periods of you know, success and longer periods of failure. That is no way to build wealth long-term. And if your goal is to be rich, where your money works for you and you never, uh, you no longer have to work for your money. If you're constantly in a boom and bust cycle personally, following, you know, mirroring the economy, you will never have enough time to actually accumulate any meaningful amount of wealth. And so you're going to mistime the market. You're always going to be somebody who's living a transactional life. Um, so really what I'm hoping that all of you guys get from all this is you don't have to be the agent who is having boom and buff cycles in your in your lives. You can be somebody that earns consistently. You can be somebody that you know has increasing levels of success every year. So reeling in the uh, Charlie Munger, no, this is the Warren Buffett quote. He said, "America loves to celebrate the comeback story. I love to celebrate the business person." He actually said the man, but you know, here we are, the business person who built their business and and continued to be successful, and never lost what they built. In other words. He doesn't want to celebrate the person that was a hit one grand slam and then never got on base again. He wants to celebrate the person who is like many of you, who basically consistently gets out of the dugout, consistently hit, hits it, you know, the, the ball hard enough that they get on first base, and consistently over time was able to score a point. 
That's what Warren Buffett celebrates. That is the backbone of the greatest businesses uh, in the history of the world. They're not trying to just be flashes in the pan. They're not trying to just be successful during one particular market. Their goal is to get out of the dugout, hit the ball hard enough that they're able to get on base, and then slowly they win the game. That should be your mission too, so please remember that. You can experience ever-increasing levels of success in your business and personal life over time. You do not have to suffer boom and bust, boom and bust cycles that really destroy wealth and potential of so many people. So here's my list. Point number one, it goes with what I just said. Impatience. A lot of people will quit too soon. That's something that happens constantly. And I'm going to give you guys a, I think this is an analogy. I think my COVID brain is allowing me to think clear enough to remember this whole analogy. I want you guys to imagine, we were talking about flying on planes a second ago. I want you to imagine you're sitting on a plane. Oh, I'll even make it better. I want you to imagine you are the pilot of the plane. Congratulations, you got a promotion, right? Now you are the jet pilot of the plane. You are now flying a new 737 or you're flying one of these new badass hypersonic planes. You guys know about those? You should Google that. They're coming out with a whole bunch of hypersonic planes. It's going to make it so you can fly from coast to coast in like a third of the amount of time it takes now. It's pretty amazing. And those are getting built now. So anyway, you're the, the pilot of a jet or a hypersonic plane. Um, and your job, obviously, is to make sure the – and this is a big plane with lots of passengers. And your job is to get the uh, plane loaded, the baggage loaded, the plane clean, the you know passengers loaded, make sure the plane has fuel, make sure the, all that, right? You have a lot of checklists in your mind, things you have to go through. So it takes a while before you even get the plane off the ground. You, I don't know if you guys have seen this. I'm sure all of you have. You've seen the pilot and the co-pilot walking around the plane before it takes off and doing whatever they're doing. They're usually carrying around a checklist and checking things off and you know, making sure the wings are there. I have no idea what they're doing. I'm not a pilot. Some of you are, and you know what I'm talking about. All right, so the pilot, you are the pilot. Your job is to what? Get people in the plane. Your pl job is to secure everybody. Your job is to make them watch the boring video about how happy you are that they're flying with your airline. Your job is to then throttle down, clear the end of the runway, and then get up to altitude. Now, here are the questions. I want you to visualize that. You are the pilot of this plane. Now, where does the plane use the most fuel? Where does the plane use the most fuel? Does it use it when it's sitting on the runway? Of course not. Does it use it when it's taking off? Hmm. Does it use it when it's cruising altitude? Your goal is to get to cruising altitude as fast as possible. So you all know, if you've been on a plane before, where the plane uses the most fuel. It's at takeoff. So at takeoff, when the plane is trying to uh, fight and you know fight against physics, right? Fight against gravity, using all this energy and all this force to get up to whatever the alt desired altitude is, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever it is. The plane is rocking and rolling and shaking and shimmering. Everybody's kind of hanging on. If you're a nervous flyer like Julie, you're grabbing hold of your armchairs or your husband next to you squeezing his arm. I mean, you know, it is what it is, right? Plane taking off, plane rocking and rolling. The whole, the whole you can hear the frame sometime. If you're sitting by the wings, you can sometimes see the, if it hits a little bit of a turbulence, you can see the wings kind of shudder. You guys have all been in that experience before. Um, you know, it is what it is. That's the experience. But the point that I'm hoping that you understand is the plane must use the greatest amount of fuel in order to get up to cruising altitude. And what happens when you're cruising altitude? The plane gets easier. The plane, the flight smooths out. The light goes on. You can go to the bathroom. The steward or stewardess start, uh, you know, serving drinks or whatever it is, right? 
The seatbelts can come off. The, all of a sudden, the Wi-Fi works. You can watch movies. At cruising altitude, things get a hell of a lot easier. Now, if the pilot looking out of the front of the plane, using all of his pilot you know, witchcraft and alchemy that's in the front of it, he can see there's a big storm ahead. Radar tells him. Other pilots tell him. Who knows? He then is now deciding, I need to go to the right or the left, below this big storm or above it. And so the pilot, let's say he wants to avoid the rocky roads and the, you know, the turbulence and the storm ahead. So he decides to increase the altitude. So then guess what? He has to start, you know, everyone has to sit down again. You know, it's going to be a little bit turbulent as he flies above this storm or whatever he's going to do. So then he decides to go to the next altitude and then he looks for calmer air. I want you to remember all that, what I just told you. Hopefully you've all experienced that. Here's what most agents do. This is what you are probably doing. You get to the plane, you're the pilot, you've gotten all the things loaded in the, in the plane, you're, you're getting ready to get started, right? You're getting ready to get the plane off the ground. You're getting ready to load the passengers. You're getting ready to, you know, be a commercial airline pilot in, a, in your commercial airline, you know, your plane. All these things are going on simultaneously. The plane is finally loaded. That is what you're doing now listening to this podcast. The podcast is the getting ready to get started. For some of you, frankly, that are out at altitude, it's the added fuel that you needed to go to the next level, but I'll reel that analogy in in a second. Here's what most agents do, and I've seen this happen so many times, um, and I've tried to express this so many different ways. Julie and I have desperately tried to get so many people to realize how much of a wealth destroyer and a potential, uh, you know, essentially uh, a potential destroyer being impatient is, but here's the way to think of it using my analogy. You're in the plane, you're the pilot, you now need to clear the end of the runway. You are now, the, uh, you know, they're throttling down or I think they push the Diblio forward, I don't know, like I said, not a pilot. So the front runway landing gear comes up and then the back landing gear starts to come up and you start to increase altitude. You start to actually gain momentum. You start to actually start to get up to, you know, essentially clearing the runway and sure enough, you're in the air. And here's what a lot of you guys do. Hell with this. I'm going back. And then you circle back to the runway. You start, you, you know, essentially circle back exactly where, taxi back exactly where you started. Everybody has to get off the plane. All the things come off the plane. And then you got to do it over and over again. And that's what so many of you do. You get ready to get started. And then what you in essence do is you never actually clear the runway. Now, some of you will clear the runway. You'll actually get up to altitude. Maybe you'll even get up to 30,000 feet. Things will start smoothing out and becoming easier. And then guess what happens? You're like, you know what? I see storm clouds ahead. I'm going back down to the runway. And then you go back down. You taxi back where you started. Everything has to start again and again. That is what so many humans do. And I've seen it, obviously, I think with most clarity in the real estate industry. And they do these cycles their entire lives. Financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, everybody seems to have this addiction to self-destruction because they're not patient enough to stay uh, in action long enough because what were you supposed to do in order to avoid that storm ahead as the pilot? You were supposed to put more fuel in. You were supposed to throttle down. You weren't supposed to quit, give up. And so what will some of you guys do? The quitting and giving up manifests itself in many different ways when you're in the real estate industry. First of all, you stop learning. That's the big one. You stop learning. You stop doing the things that were necessary for you to get there in the first place. I've been hearing this, and I hear this every time the market has a, a slight fluctuation. Get back to the basics. What the hell else is there other than the basics, right? What is there other than the basics? Nothing. The things that are other than the basics are the things that never work. That's the reason you have to stop doing them when the market changes. They're the fluff things. They're the ego things. They're the things that make you broke. 
whatever you know the basics are, right? Proactive lead generation, pre-qualifying, presenting, negotiating, and lead follow-up. Those five things. That's all you really have to master in real estate. Just master those five things. And once you master those five things, you're right as rain. All the other things in real estate are optional. Understand the difference between passive and um, proactive or you know, and passive lead generation. Understand the importance of being an absolute wizard at proactive lead generation. And then you frankly will never actually have to learn to be a passive lead generator. These are the critical things that in a market like this, you will have wished you would have learned five years ago. But what's the old saying? What's the greatest time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. A better time is now. Do not waste time deciding to take the right actions. By the way, greatest opportunity to become the listing agent? Now. Now in the next six months to a year with expired listings. Learn how to be a powerful listing agent. Learn how to thrive in this market. Of course, here comes the Premier uh, Coaching commercial. Ready? If you guys want to join Premier Coaching now, which hundreds of you are doing every single month, it's free. We've made it 100% free for you to join Premier Coaching. It includes a plethora of information the second you join, but it really includes something that I think blows a lot of you away, free daily semi-private coaching calls. Just text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. There's also a link if you're listening to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other billions of podcast listing services we're on, Spotify or whatever. There's a link in the show description. You know, it's members.timandjulieharris.com. So just whatever you do as a result of listening to this podcast, and I really appreciate the motivation a lot of you say you're getting from this. It means a lot to me to hear that. Please do join Premier Coaching because it's the next natural step in your forward momentum and progress. So impatience is the biggest wealth destroyer. Now I'm going to go through the rest of the list relatively quick. My computer went to sleep. All right, here's the next one. Desire to be, this is the greatest wealth destroyer. Number two, remember these are no particular objects or, or no particular order. Um, desire to be famous versus rich. If you have to choose, and we've talked about this on the show before, if you, you do have to choose, you have to choose between being famous and being rich. Do not believe the people that are trying to sell you that your whole mission in real estate is to form a brand. That is bullshit. There's no two ways about it. You're just you, what your focus on real estate in real estate as a practitioner should be is to solve other people's problems. Can you imagine? Like I've got to take Julie and Zoe to a doctor again today. Okay, Zoe's temperature is still high. She, tonsils are inflamed, so we're going to go to a pediatric doctor today. We went to a normal doctor yesterday. Julie wants to take her to a pediatrician today. No problem. So we're going to go to the pediatrician. It, would I, did I choose that pediatrician or Julie choose that pediatrician based on their TikTok profile? based on how many YouTube videos they have? Or did we choose them based on the fact that other people with children said they did a great job and this is a very trustworthy doctor? Which do you think we used? Do you think I heard someone say, this is the greatest pediatrician in Murphy, North Carolina, um, but you know what? You better go on and check to see what their videos are like to see what they had for lunch on Instagram. You guys get the insanity of it. The whole branding stuff comes and goes. Uh, we've been in this industry now for basically three decades. And the branding and marketing stuff, it comes when the market is hot and it goes when it's not. And that's what you're going to experience now. And if you've only been in this industry, which is all of you basically, for 15 years or, or less, you've never been in a transitioning market, let alone a buyer's market. Not sure it's going to be a buyer's market, but it's definitely a transitioning market. So you don't know what I'm saying is true. You don't know what a proactive lead generation, uh, well, you don't know what that effort feels like and looks like. You're not understanding what I'm saying to you is true because everybody else around you is saying the same thing as you're thinking. 
They're all telling you to be social media superstars. They're all telling you to be some iteration of an influencer. They're all telling you that once you are more famous, the world will come beating a path to your door. What if all of that is a lie? How would you know if it were a lie? How would you know if it's a lie? How would you actually know to verify that all that stuff is just something that they learned from Gary Vanderchuk, who I'm not discounting Gary whatsoever, but he was the one that was originally a proponent of everyone becoming their, a personal brand. Now, I want to really drill down on this, but I want to do it really fast. If you're selling, let's say, sweaters or hoodies, and you don't have a retail store, and you're selling them on Amazon, doing things like that, social media is a powerful way to sell products. You're not selling a product. You're selling a service. When was the last time you saw a really good, are you clicking on people providing services on social media? No, products are what sell on social media for marketing. Even then, the idea that you have to become an influencer or you have to become some kind, or you can somehow shortcut through social media and through brand building and through brand building social media and lots of posting that'll build you some sort of long-term sustainable reputation is a lie. It is absolutely not true because the way you build a long-term sustainable business in real estate is you have the patience to do it. You don't look for shortcuts, which is a lot of what you guys are being suckered into believing. The way you do it is by actually doing it, by helping people buy and sell real estate at a high level. In real estate, you have the greatest, most incredible gift ever. Like, remember I was just talking to you guys about the person who uh, was selling hoodies? Now, what if, for example, I were to call up said hoodie entrepreneur and I were to say, said hoodie entrepreneur, I have a list right now of all the people who want to buy a hoodie and they happen to want to buy a hoodie that's priced, you know, exactly your customers. I have a list right now of the customers you want. What would said hoodie person pay me for that list per person? A hell of a lot of money, wouldn't they? Right? They would pay me if their hoodies are, you know, $40. I bet you I could call somebody up that was selling hoodies and I bet I could say, Here's your list of hoodie customers. They're ready to buy hoodies. How much will you give me per hoodie or per, per customer, per lead, per they'll, I bet you 20 bucks. I bet you they easily give me half, wouldn't they? It's interesting, isn't it? Here's the thing. I do have a list of all the people in your marketplace right now who have to sell a house. I have their phone numbers. I have their email addresses. I know their names. In some cases, I know what they owe on their mortgage. Maybe sometimes we can figure out what their motivation is. I have a list like that. How much are you willing to pay for it? I'm serious, listeners. I got a list. You know, I'm kind of setting you up here, but just work with me, right? So I've got a list of all the people in your marketplace who have a house to sell. What are you willing to pay for it? Your average commission is 15 grand. What are you willing to pay me for that for a lead? I already know. You guys will easily pay 25%. Okay, hold on. Bob in the front row, he said 25%. Sally, two rows back. She now has just offered me 40%. Oh, there's a guy in the back who just said he'd give me 50% referral fee. I give him this listing lead. It's worth 15 grand. He's going to pay me $7,500. Oh, there's someone in the corner now. We're up to 80%. Will anybody, oh, now someone's willing to give me 90. Okay, that's what's going on in the marketplace because you don't know how to proactively lead generate. That's what happens when you're beholden to somebody else to buy your leads. That's what happens when you build your mansion on land you do not own when you're buying leads. You do not know how to generate your own leads proactively. What you're going to do is you're always going to be beholden to some auctioneer, you know, lead generation company, Zillow or whomever else that's selling you leads because you don't know how to do it yourself. 
And here's the beauty of what I was trying to get at a second ago. There is a list of people that want to sell their homes now. There are notes to defaults. They're expired. They're for sale by owners. There's 20 different sources, at least, of people that have their hands in the air right now who want to sell their homes. Why are you spending money branding? <laughs> Doesn't make sense, does it? Why are you spending money trying to essentially manipulate the market into thinking you're the person they should call? Why don't you instead just call the people who already said they want to do business with you? The hoodie person, you know damn well that they would probably you know, give me 50% of their revenue if I gave them a list. No other industry has a list of people that are actually looking to do a transaction. Do you guys get the difference? If you're selling pies, there's no list of people in that community that want to buy a pie that particular day, right? You're hoping you can predict market trends. Of Thanksgiving, I'll sell more pumpkin pies than I will in June. But beyond that, there is no way of knowing how many people without, you know, you, you can have some people. I've got an AI algorithm that's going to correctly predict. This is the other thing I think is funny. You guys are willing to pay money to have somebody send you a list of people who might sell based on their age, equity, time in the house. And you think those are great leads. That is insane to me. Now, look, we are coming out of an era where I realized there weren't that many expireds and there weren't that many for sale by owners that weren't able to sell themselves. That era is over, guys. Over. The new market, there's going to be tons of these opportunities. The harvest for agents who are willing to be proactively generators is now. Please drill down and focus. The fast track, and it's going to real require work. It's going to require effort. It's definitely to join our premier coaching program. We focus primarily on helping you guys become powerful listing agents. Text the word premier to 47372. All right, so we are now going through the list of greatest wealth destroyers. I'm on point number three. Point number two was desire to be famous versus choosing to be rich. Point number three, I've drilled down on this. Um, shortcuts and shiny objects. Oh, man, who doesn't love a shiny object? <laughs> I mean, I do. I watched this stupid presentation for the new Apple iPhone 14. And by the way, is it just me or is it totally creepy? How many different little widgets they have in the new iPhones and iWatches that are kind of predicting that I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of Alaska being chased by grizzly bears and I need some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of uh, satellite to uh, signal where I need saving. I mean, my life is not that exciting, right? So all these new little, like they had this, uh, this other little widget. All these things are cool, you know, where you're going to be notified uh, auto automatically if you're, it's going to, through their gyroscopes and these new devices, it's going to know when you're in some kind of peril from falling or from a car wreck. I get that. I love that. But the fact is, is that I don't think Apple's really predicting a very, you know, shiny future for the rest of us going forward with iPhones. But I digress and I blame my rambling on COVID. The point is, stop looking for shortcuts and shiny objects. Next point. How am I doing so far, guys? Doing what I don't want to do when I don't want to do it at the highest level. I'm trying to lead by example. All right. This next example is so important. And I'm going to be somewhat self-serving because I have a great way to uh, exemplify this point. Trusting but not verifying your advisors. Write that down. That's point number one, two, three, four. Trusting but not verifying your advisors, coaches, mentors, whoever else. Now, here's um, you're choosing to hire a real estate coach, right? It, look, it can be real estate coach, tennis coach, health coach, financial coach, whatever. You're choosing to hire an attorney. You're choosing to hire a dentist. You know, we are choosing today which pediatrician to take Zoe to. You guys get the point? What are? The, but here's the filters you want to have in place when choosing who you're going to trust for being a real estate coach. I wrote down four questions for you to ask. I want you to internalize these and ask these. And do not think that you're not worthy of hiring the best, most qualified person that you can. If you cannot uh, afford 
the best, most qualified person that you can. Do not hire a half-assed person because actually their bad advice could actually ruin years of your life. And I'll give you an example of that right now. Number one, when you're choosing to hire a real estate coach, question number one, have you had a real estate license before or do you presently have a real estate license? I should not have to tell you that it does not make sense to hire someone that's never sold real estate before. Hopefully you just instantly understand how insane it is to think that you're going to have a high quality experience, you know, learning how to do something from somebody that's never done it before. That does not make sense. Question number one, have you sold real estate before? And if they say yes, then you move to question two. If they say no, then you say sayonara. Question number two, I got to make sure I get these right in my head. Question number two, have you sold at least a hundred houses per year for at least one year? Have you, Mr. Perspective Real Estate Coach, actually sold 100 houses per year for, for one year? If the answer is yes, well, good. That's somebody who actually has been there, done that to some extent. That person's probably got some you know, potential uh, uh, experience that you can learn from. That's great. If not, boot them. Not good enough. You can do better because here's what's happening. A lot of not very successful real estate agents are calling themselves real estate coaches but they may, and they, most of them have never really sold real estate at a high level. Question number three, and some of you are raising your eyebrows. Oh, you're just trying to sell me coaching. Damn right, I'm trying to sell you coaching, but what I'm really trying to do is help you to learn how to not take bad advice from well-meaning people. Because if you take bad advice from well-meaning people, one little, look, if someone told you right now that your way forward is doing something in real estate, uh, and it's absolutely gonna work, it's the greatest thing ever, and you start doing it, believing it's true, even though it doesn't work and you stick with it for months and then for years, you keep on piling on cash and you're trying to make this bad idea work. What's going to happen to your, what's going to happen to you? You're going to fail. Now, when you fail, are you going to say I failed because that half-assed coach gave me bad advice? You won't. You're going to say I failed because of me. I failed because I wasn't good enough. I failed because somehow I'm not a salesperson. I failed because the world cheated me. I failed by, and you're going to have all these horrible you know, really unnecessary emotions that are going to uh, come as a result of having listened and taken bad advice. That is, if so, if you are seeking advice, it's better to not get an answer to the advice you're seeking uh, from an inexperienced, unqualified person. It, it Just avoid asking people. Don't go to Facebook and ask a whole bunch of other people that are trying to seek the same answer, their opinions. Why would you listen to that? You're just, you're not really solving a problem. So question number three when interviewing potential coaches. So first one, have you sold real estate? If yes, move to question two. Have you sold at least 100 houses per year for at least one year? If yes, move to question number three. This is gonna mo take most of them out, but the you know here it is. Have you sold at least 100 houses per year for at least five years in a row? Now, why did I put that in there? Because there are a lot of people, especially coming out of the market that we're coming out of, that have sold 100 houses in a year because they, let's just, you know, they listen to subdivision. Uh, you know, I have agents in Miami who have worked with developers who listed all the condo units and a couple buildings that equated to hundreds of units and they just got credit for them when they sold. I know somebody who works with new construction builders in Texas who will list everything for basically free, put it in a searchable database and he tries to make all of his money off the buyer sides. Well, he sold more than 100 houses per year. So, you know, and he's done it for more than five years. That's the reason I have the fourth question. But remember, the, fourth, the third question was, have you sold at least 100 houses per year for at least five years? If they have, do be smart and drill down more on the nature of what it was that they sold. But let's say you've got a real great one. You've now got somebody 
the whole sold 100 houses per year for at least five years in a row, and that person did it off individual transactions. They've actually uh, worked it. They've actually learned to do what they didn't want to do and they didn't want to do at the highest level. To do that, they had to have, you know, have a high level real systems in their business, high level sales skills, high level of mindset, um, you know, high level of everything. They're somebody who you should definitely cozy up to because they know more than, you know, they're definitely somebody that's a unicorn in the industry and they're very valuable. The last question is the most important question. So now you found somebody, they sold more than 100 houses per year for at least five years in a row. You like them. Next question is the most important question. Have you performed at least 100,000 one-on-one coaching calls? And here's what I want you to really drill down on this. Here's your added filters that you got paid to perform. <laughs> in other words, you were being paid as a professional at least 100,000 times to actually do coaching calls. And here's how people try to shortcut that because I've seen people do it. Coaches, and I'm air quoting it, right? People will say, I have done presentations and I have spoken in front of groups. I have a YouTube, fake YouTube coaches, tons of those now. I have a billion YouTube views, all these other things. Have you performed at least 100,000 paid coaching calls, Mr. Perspective Coach? That is going to take all of them out. There are, truthfully, that I am knowledgeable of, five or six of us in the industry that will actually check off all of those boxes. Only five or six of us. So you deserve the right to actually choose somebody who's not been just been successful for a year, not just been successful at a high level for five years, but somebody who's shown uh, their ability to help other people be successful. So why did I attach the number 100,000 and why did it, to the, it being paid? Because if you were paid over $100,000, $250 generally speaking is how much it costs, for a half hour one-on-one -on -one coaching call, you couldn't have done that unless you actually were somebody that was a professional. There is zero chance you would have been able to get that many people to pay you that much money unless you were really good at what you did. You guys get it? The market tested and has retested that person to determine that not only were they a successful real estate practitioner, or maybe still are, but they're actually a kick-ass real estate coach. That's what you deserve. Now, Julie and I obviously check all those boxes, except the last one. We've performed far more than 100,000 coaching calls each. Far more. I don't even know. We stopped counting at 250,000. I'm not exaggerating. Don't think I'm bragging. I'm not. I mostly want you to feel sorry for me because how would you like to have had to talk to that many realtors <laughs> that many times over this many years? Uh, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of true too. But over that time, what happens is you get really good at what you do. You deserve to work with people that are the best of the best because that ultimately, if you're looking for a shortcut, that's the greatest shortcut ever. It's working with other people that know how to do not just for themselves, but to others how to do the same thing. All right, next point. That was point, this is point number one, two, three, four. This is five, compounding debt, rolling debt into more debt. Remember, this is all about wealth destroyers. And this is another one. I see this happening right now. A lot of times, mostly with car loans, uh, again, some of these are practical things like the point I'm telling, telling you now. Previous point was more sort of philosophical, if you will. But that's the other thing is people are not paying attention to what's going on with money. I talk to every single day, three and four different agents, usually on Zooms about various things. A lot of agents are joining our eXp Realty group. I've been having a lot of Zoom calls with agents. Um, and one of the things I, when I'm trying to get it to know them a little bit better 
is I'll ask them about what their monthly overhead is. Nobody knows. I'll just summarize the long-winded point I was about to make. Nobody knows. They never know how much their personal overhead is. That's crazy. How can you not know what your personal overhead is? Because here's why. And ask what their goals are. They're always giving me a units goal or a volume goal. I want to sell 50 houses next year. I want to, you know, I want to sell $20 million uh, this year. Why? There's no why. There's, there's a why, but there's no answer. They don't know. And they don't know what their personal overhead is. In other words, what they're doing is they're just selling houses for the sake of selling houses. They're not paying attention to what matters most. I talked about this yesterday. Your product of your business is, I suppose, to some extent, happy customers, sold houses, and all the rest of it. Your real product, guys, is profit. Profit. There's a great book. Didn't write it. Love it. Most of you will hate it, but it's a great book. It's called Profits Aren't Everything. They're the only thing written by George something or another. I don't remember his last name. It's on Audible. It's not a big book. You should get it. Profits aren't everything. They're the only thing. And that book is actually referred to me from Mark Shandro, who has been a longtime coaching client. So moral of the story here is, is that you've got to be very clear about, you know, debt. You've got to be very clear about overhead. You've got to be very clear about your numbers. When you join Premier Coaching, when you text the word Premier to 47372, one of the first things we want all of you to do is complete your real estate treasure map. That is going to give you a drill down on what, what all your numbers are. Here's how you're going to feel after you do the real estate treasure map. An amazing sigh of relief. Some of you have one-year plans, five-year plans, but your plans are based on earning more money. It's not based on profit. It's not based on reinvesting the profit so that you can become rich where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. The point of you being in business, not spending time with your family, not spending time doing more of what you want to do. The point of the sacrifice is for you to be rich so you can be free. Now, in the short run, it might be to buy a new car. And that's great. Buy a new car. If you have to, if you really want to, you know, a Bentley and you're instead compromising and buy a Camry, don't buy the Camry, buy the Bentley. Save up, figure out how to do it. Don't take half steps, guys. Because the half steps end up costing you money. Have you experienced this? You really wanted this, but you rationalized that was good enough. You bought that. You secretly came to hate that. And then you ended up selling that to get this, which you should have done in the first place. Understand? So be very clear about this. Start with the real estate treasure map. Complete that. It's part of Premier Coaching. It's free. Text the word Premier to 47372. By the way, when texting, remember, message and data rates may apply. All right, next point. This is a big one. Actually, I'm going to combine these points for the sake of time. Overpaying your broker. Overpaying your broker. Again, doing a lot of calls for people that are wanting to join EXP. One of the exercises I do with people when they're doing that is I, <laughs> I was going to say force, then I was going to stop myself, but the truth is I'll blame COVID. I force them to figure out how much they're paying their brokers. Nobody knows. They'll say, they always say the same thing. Like I'm asking you listeners, how much are you paying your broker? You're going to say, well, I'm on a 90-10 split or I'm on an 80-20 split or I'm on a whatever, whatever. Okay, but what else are you paying your broker? In addition to that, what are you paying your broker? Are you going to tell me about the 6% annual fee? I had somebody who was number three at Berkshire Hathaway who was thinking that somehow he was giving me the, you know, the nuclear, uh, the, 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 the codes to make the nuclear weapons you know, fly. Uh, and that when I asked him what his commission split was, oh, I can't tell you. It's a super big secret. I got the best commission split at Berkshire Hathaway. It's amazing. It was 94%. Big deal. Okay. 94%. EXP royalties, 80, 20 cap. They didn't understand the whole thing. Then I explained to them, I said, so what about the 7% or the 6% that you're also paying on top of that? 
And then he was like, oh, I guess it's not 94%. No, it's not 94%. It's actually a lot less. Do you know your math, listeners? That's the first thing we're going to talk about when you're talking about, you know, did you choose the right broker, right? I had somebody else on a call yesterday, and he was telling me that I'm at a broker. It's a flat fee broker. They only charge me $500 per transaction. But he didn't think of all the other expenses, the broker review fee and this fee and that fee. And he was paying what it amounted to. I did the math for him. He was basically on a 75-25 split. He was paying, he was basically making about 75% off every uh, transaction. But because the nature of how he was paying his broker, he didn't understand. So we have every single month now hundreds of people that are joining our eXp Realty Group. And I love really when I'm talking with people about that, really what I'm excited about is the experience of having had so many thousands of agents joining your eXp Realty Group and seeing all, I call it the seventh uh, greatest wonder of the world. Uh, especially when you factor in revenue share. And when you look at what eXp offers versus every other agent or other other brokerage that's out there, there really is no comparison. And for some reason, and I honestly do not understand it, there's some people that get really pissed off when I talk about eXp Realty. I don't understand how or why you'd be angry about that. Is it because you don't want to hear about what eXp offers in your present situation? It's okay if you're just closed-minded to it right now. That's fine but at least open your mind to the possibility of all the other things that eXp offers so that if you're saying no, you know what you're saying no to. Because here's what's happened in the almost four years Julie and I have been at eXp Realty. There really are, uh, I'm noticing there's different sort of levels of interest in eXp Realty. There's the new agent who needs to join eXp Realty. That's a perfect fit. There's the experienced agent that wants to sell more houses, learning the importance of profit. They're a perfect fit. And there's the grizzled veteran. That's a perfect fit. The difference between now and even like 24 months ago is before people would say, like, what's EXP Realty? I don't quite understand it. What is it? Maybe some of you are still in that situation too. I mean, this podcast gets listened to tens of thousands of times, and I'm sure some of you don't know what it is. Um, and I'll tell you how to get more information in a second. But the moral of the story is, is that most people are at least what I call EXP Realty curious. You are, you're seeing some of the nation's greatest agents move over to EXP. You're seeing the momentum increase. You're hearing all these things on all the real estate channels, why EXP is so successful in getting all these big teams and brokers, and you're EXP curious. And the rest of you, most of you, are in the process of trying to choose your sponsor. You know, so if you've not chosen your sponsor and you're looking for a, a sponsor that's going to be proactive in your success at EXP Realty, and I hope you guys know that I mean this sincerely, it would be our honor to be your sponsor at EXP Realty. And it's easy. Just text me directly at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. That is really my cell phone number. Do not call. I will not answer. And just in the, you know, just text the word EXP and we'll get the conversation started. Those of you who are EXP curious and you're just looking for more information, in the show description, whether you're listening to us on a podcast or whether you're on YouTube, there's a direct link. Just go to our, our, our site, and then you can learn all, have all your questions answered about eXp Realty. But really, one of the biggest wealth destroyers for real estate agents is absolutely overpaying your broker. I'm going to add on that one, as I promised. The other thing that people underestimate is taxes. You do not understand how much of your taxes are being taken. I'm going to reflect upon a call I had with an agent. This is the exact example. They're, they're going to earn, based on their closings, a million and a half this year. They live in California. They did not, they, their taxes were behind. No idea how much their taxes were going to be. I did the math for them. I'll give you the punchline. You ready? Listeners, are you ready? $750,000. 
that person earning $1,500,000 in California, when you take into account all the expenses that are associated with living in that state was going to, and federal, it was going to result in them having to pay $750,000. Almost every cent that the agent was going to earn in closings for the rest of the year, and fortunately they had enough money coming in, thank God, capital G, was going to cover their tax bill. You guys underestimate how wealth how much wealth destruction comes from not being tax efficient. I'm not saying tax avoidance. I'm not saying doing anything illegal or unethical. Understanding how you can actually benefit from being an entrepreneur in real estate and essentially learn to be more tax efficient. I'll give you another example. You can actually purchase enough rental properties to offset your taxes almost completely. And that's one of the things we're going to show you how to do in Premier Coaching. That's on one of the more advanced levels. So as you're building your wealth, as you're getting really good at flying your plane and keeping it at altitude, doesn't it make sense we want to keep the tanks fueled so you can continue to fly to higher heights when you choose to? Doesn't it make sense that we can get up to the altitude that you want to get at and then the, you know, maybe you want to climb the plane a little bit higher? Let's say this thing can get into space if you choose to. Well, we've got to have the fuel. The fuel comes from the money that comes from the profit. So definitely think about where you live, Think about your tax situation. Look at state taxes. You know, this is the reason when you, and I realize you guys think I'm being political. I am not. I am very practical. Julie and I, if anything, are more libertarian than anything else. If you look at the states that are growing the fastest, do you think it's a little odd? They're not the states that are blue or red necessarily. They're the states with no taxes. The states with no taxes, that person I gave you an example of that's paying 750 grand for the million and a half in actual income that they're going to earn. Uh, California, their state taxes, if I remember correctly, was 13%. Think about that. 13% living in California. I love California. Julie and I adore Central California. Love Monterey. Carmel by the Sea is heaven on earth. Adore California. Would never live in California. Ever, ever, ever. Vacation in California? Yes. Live there? No. It takes too much money. It's too costly to live there. No, again, don't be offended. Open your mind because what this podcast series is about is wealth building. And one of the greatest wealth destroyers is choosing to live in a place that costs too damn much. Choosing to live in a place where you have to pay so much in taxes. The previous point was obviously a brokerage. Please do not get political in the comments. I'm not trying to be political. This is just merely a conversation amongst friends about creating wealth. Keep your political comments to yourself. I will not respond. This is not a political podcast. This is about helping real estate entrepreneurs build wealth so they can be free. That is the focus. I am not being political. Please do not be political or think I'm trying to do something manipulative to try to send some underlying political message. I'm not. Staying in down markets by choice is the next point. And I'll give you a great example. When Julie and I were selling real estate in Columbus, um, Ohio, uh, we were there was a couple on the other end of town, which Julie and I really admired. I remember what broker they're at. I only remember one of their names, uh, Chip and Susan Parrish. Actually, I remember both their names. That was who they were. Fantastic agents. We did co-ops with them, learned things from them because they were so polished, so poised, so professional. Really, I think when Julie and I were first getting into real estate, we'd love doing a deal with them because not only obviously we would get paid and we didn't make a customer happy, but we were observant of how they did things and we copied them and we made our systems better. Really great agents. Now, they were king in the hill in this market called Muirfield. You guys who play golf, yes, that Muirfield. Muirfield back was originally developed in the 70s, and then in the 90s, new construction was kind of stopped. It just stopped there. Doubling on a hole, slowed down. 
most of the growth was happening on the other side of town in this area called New Albany where Julie and I sold real estate. And Julie and I were, you know, the Columbus Board of Realtors would publish this list of the top agents in Columbus. And we got into the, the business, and this was generally speaking by revenue and by uh, units. Chip and Susan, or Susan and Chip, I think I'm getting their names right, were right at the top every single month. And then over time, I mean, we sold real estate for about 10 years. We watched their names eventually fall. I don't remember the particulars, but I just remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. And then eventually Julie and I took an expired listing out in Muirfield. And then I knew why Chip and Susan were not selling as much and earning as much as they had previously. Muirfield had become an undesirable community. It went from the most desirable place in Columbus to live, beautiful, gorgeous area. It's actually returning now over when this is, you know, 20 years later, but houses get rehabbed because what happens is homes begin to age. Styles of homes become dated. Housing, especially expensive housing, is trendy. People will go from wanting George and Manson's and all of a sudden there's this new subdivision across town, which all the, you know, the Joneses are moving to that are modern, you know, whatever the hell they are. And then people start following those people. That's what happens is it's like high school, upper end real estate, especially upper end middle class real estate. People will have a tendency to want to be in the new trendy community. The new trendy community in this example was clear across town an hour away. So Muirfield basically got left in the dust. People stopped putting money in the houses. The houses, some of them were going to foreclosure, short sales. The houses, when you'd walk into one, all needed like $100,000 worth of work. You guys get the point. They stayed too long. So there's an old saying. I don't remember. Oh, I do remember where I learned this. I think I learned this from Baron Von Rothschild. I think I did. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is where I picked it up. And it's, and it's kind of an interesting um, flip. And I've said this before publicly in front of people, in front of stages. And it's always fascinating for me to watch people's expressions. And here it is. Ready? When the going gets tough, the smart. Ah, where's the answer? When the going gets tough, the smart. What are you saying to yourselves? How many of you are saying the smart? Or when your going gets tough, the tough get going, right? Isn't that what most of you are saying? When the going gets tough, the smart get going. Isn't that what we were all taught? That's like, it's part of our DNA. Of course, that's true. How dare you say that's not how it's supposed to be said? Well, I heard this, and it changed my life and my perspective on business in general. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. They don't stick around. Once the trend is over, once the market is going in the other direction, leave. Go the other way. You know, look, in, in real estate, you have the flexibility to go to other markets, right? You could move to one market over, and that market could be on fire. So I want you to think about that. Many of you are stuck in situations where, frankly, your town is not necessarily on the upswing, and you need to move to one town over. Frankly, maybe it's your brokerage. It's not on the upswing. That's true with most of you, right? So you need to move to one town over. Maybe you're, a t or maybe you need to move to a different brokerage. Maybe you're a team leader, and you're discovering that your team model is no longer working for you. Guess what? It's time for you to move to what's the next natural progression in your business. Don't think changing is failure. Changing is you being smart. When the going get tough, the smart leave. So when Julie and I learned that, we were probably, I mean, I can remember when we started applying it to our lives, we were probably about 29, 29 or 28. And we learned that. And then we started practicing it. We started to see if it was true because we were business people. We wanted to accumulate enough rental properties so that the rental, we could live off the cash flow from our rental properties by the time we were, I was 40 and she was 39. We did it, but it, I was 41 and she was 39. Um, but anyway, that's a different story. So that was our goal. And so we kept that as our North Star, right? 
We did not want to stay in situations, brokerages, towns, communities, price ranges, anything that was going to, if it became a lot tougher and it wasn't, and it was because market conditions changed, we had to realize that we can tough it out when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going, or we could decide to go someplace where it was easier. We went someplace where it was easier, and that was a huge benefit to us building wealth. And if you look at some of the greatest companies and uh, really greatest investors, that's what they do as well. They're not going to stay in a sector, invested in a sector that nobody wants to buy. They're going to move on to something else. So that's another, that's an ego issue, right? The fear of changing. So just internalize that, write it down. And if you're offended by what I just said, when the going gets tough, the smart leave. And if you're offended by that, I want you to really do the internal work and ask yourself why. Why is that offensive? Why is it? Because it goes against the way a lot of us were raised. The way a lot of us were raised was giving us software that was not re- that is not relevant now. Now, I'm not saying don't be beholden to your obligations. I'm not saying you're having marital problems now and the going gets tough to smart leave. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about making money. I'm talking about becoming, earning enough money, earning enough profit that you reinvest it so then you can be free where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money. These little, hopefully, you know, beneficial suggestions I'm giving to you do not necessarily transcend to other aspects of your life. Because a lot of times when you're in like non-business environments, when the going gets tough, the tough do get going. For example, if you want to improve your physicality, it does become harder for you to, you know, improve your muscle mass. And you do have to, you know, do things that are going to force you to be uncomfortable. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying quit when it becomes too hard. I'm not saying don't continue to throttle down to go to the next level. What I am saying is look realistically at the macroeconomic environment where you're selling real estate, including your city or your town, and decide whether it's going up or whether it's going down. And if it's going down, you too will most likely suffer the descent as the rest of the community does as well. Number whatever of um, wealth destroyers, health issues. Health issues are another huge wealth destroyer. So the only, obviously, here's, here's, I'm not a, you know, financial advisor, not a health person, not a doctor, just a goofy old real estate coach at the end of the day, right? But here's my strongest suggestion to all of you. Low carb, moderate exercise. Don't overindulge in anything, right? Alcohol or whatever else. If you have a low carb diet and you have moderate exercise, do your own homework on this. Pretty much you're going to find yourself staying in a healthy weight range. You're going to find yourself staying, obviously, healthy longer periods of time. There are a lot of amazing doctors out there right now that can take your blood and then do a a test on your blood to find out where you're deficient in various minerals and things like that, that you can then take supplements. That's another great advice. Not If you don't have the money for it, there's a lot of um, really, frankly, easy-to-read books online that will give you suggestions on different uh, vitamins and whatnot you should be taking. Some of you don't believe in vitamins. That's fine. Don't believe in vitamins. But the easy button is to take a multivitamin and start there. You know, start doing, be responsible for your own health. Don't think your doctor is going to, your doctor is going to get in there, solve the problem, check you over, go on to the next patient. You're responsible for your own accumulation of positive health momentum, just as you are with your financials. Which leads me to my next point. Greatest wealth destroyer, thinking your accountant is there to build wealth for you and help you save taxes. Not true. The accountant is there to fill out the forms and get you out the door and charge you your money. That's what his job is. And the same goes with financial advisors. 
Many of you are pissing away enormous amounts of money because you're too damn lazy to do the research yourself. And here's how simple it is. When you hire someone to give you advice, they might not be charging you. They have all kinds of fancy terms. You, remember, you notice how financial advisors never like to use the word commission. But then when you look at the statements they give you, there's all these little percentages. What the hell is that? It's commission. <laughs> but they don't want to call it that. They'll say a load fee or they'll say an annual fee. Not commission, but it's all commission. So here's the suggestion I have for all of you. Uh, again, by the way, I got this from Warren Buffett. So don't believe me. Believe Warren Buffett. Uh, your greatest opportunity to invest is going to be hedge fund. I'm sorry, not hedge funds, index funds. And look specifically at index funds that are sold by Vanguard, Vanguard index funds. And, and the reason is, is because they charge virtually nothing to have your money there. And something like the S&P 500 index fund will outperform pretty much any other portfolio out there. I'll give you guys a real quick example. I had a coaching client who swore by their financial advisor, Grace thinks and sliced bread. I said, Mr. Coaching Client, call your financial advisor, and I want you to send to me exactly where he's investing your money and exactly what he's uh, charging you to do so. The guy didn't want to do it. The guy didn't want to give these clients of mine a list of where they had their money and uh, where I had their money invested. Eventually, he did, and we saw it was a little bit of you know Cisco at the time, Apple, all the breakdowns of the different percents and the dollar volumes and the number of shares and all the rest of it. Then I compared it to the S&P 500 index fund. It wasn't at Vanguard. It was a different company. And guess what? It was exactly the same. So what this financial advisor was doing was charging them 2% per year to basically stick their money in an index fund, which they could have done for basically nothing. That's what most of these financial advisors do. They are investing in essentially the same uh, stocks that are already indexed in these various funds that you can get from Vanguard. Do your own homework. Here are your keywords. Ready? Google the... Um, uh, Vanguard index uh, three fund portfolio, Vanguard index five fund portfolio. For those of you who really want to nerd out on this, Google the word. I know this sounds crazy. Uh, uh, Bogleheads, Bogleheads. I think it's B-O-G-E-L. As some of you, someone put it in comments. If I'm getting that wrong, it might be L-E or E-L. Again, I got COVID, so who the hell knows? Uh, three fund portfolio, five fund portfolio. There's a really great old school blog out there where a lot of people who have created financial independence for themselves will go and tell you about the three fund and five fund portfolio. But also Vanguard will do that for you. And what it is is basically is they're all, always going to tell you to get in the S&P 500 index fund. There's going to be an international growth fund and usually a bond fund or something like that. But do your own homework. That's the steady eddy approach to long-term wealth building. Over the last five, uh, 50 years, I believe, the average return on investment per year from the S&P 500, which is the Standard & Poor's 500 biggest companies by market cap, is 10.3%. 10.3%. Now, yes, it goes up. Yes, it goes down. But over time, that pretty much is rock star status. Okay. So do not overpay when you're um, asking for, uh, you know, financial advice, do your own homework, be your own best financial advisor, and be very careful who you're hiring to give you financial advice. And your accountant is not a really going to want to overtly go out of his way to save you any money on taxes. Their job is just to get the return filed. That's how they got paid. That's how they get paid. You're going to have to learn how to be your own best financial advisor by reading great books and listening to, frankly, great podcasts. And you're going to have to learn how to be your own best tax advisor because you are going to find yourself asking for financial advice because you want to be independently wealthy. You want to be a multimillionaire. And you're asking for advice from people that basically are neither of one of those things. They're working for like, you know, a paycheck. 
at some company as an accountant. And you think that person is going to tell you how to become rich? Are you kidding me? Remember the example I was giving you when uh, the four questions to ask when choosing a professional? These same questions apply when choosing financial advisors. All right. The last point I wrote down in my typical, probably overly direct way is stop listening to well-meaning idiots. That's our greatest wealth destroyer. I talked about this a second ago. You guys are going to YouTube. You're going to Facebook. You're going to real estate conferences. You're listening to all these well-meaning idiots. In other words, they don't know they're idiots, and only time will prove that they're idiots. But they're telling you to do things that will not only not uh, create real estate transactions for you, but it will also cost you money. And what happens is some of you drill down. You start trying to employ these grandiose ideas and, again, have these calls all day so I know what kinds of things you guys are listening to. And what happens then is it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work or doesn't work at the level that it needs to, to pay your bills and to pay the money it costs to implement whatever the idea is, and have you ever noticed all these people that are trying to get you to uh, you know, spend money or also getting paid from the people that you're spending money with? Do you notice when you go to conferences that's sponsored by XYZ CRM, they're telling you to use the CRM from XYZ? Of course they are. They're beholden to the people that are paying their bills. So you've got to be really careful who you listen to for advice. The greatest of all of these are the people that are telling you to overinvest in your brand. Branding is something that you're trying to be, they're trying to convince you your goal is to build a great brand, a.k.a. spend a lot of money with them. And the idea is, the fantasy is, once you have this great brand, the world's going to roll out its red carpet. The world's going to say, I want to use Tim and Julie Harris because of their fantastic brand. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. That is a big, glorious, fancy, sexy lie. Now, what they're really trying to do is say, your lead, they're trying to, their uh, brand has uh, come in this modern era to replace the word reputation. What you really want is a stellar reputation. Again, my good old friend, Charlie Munger, do not try to make your, uh, yourself famous. Try to make the results you get for other people famous. That is the perfect example of what you should be doing in real estate. When you are calling directly, proactively marketing, you know, through your own efforts to the people who already have their hands in their air saying, yes, I want to sell my house. You take the listing, you sell the listing, you make them super happy. You do that enough times. You do not have to buy that lead. The lead is there with its hand up in the air. You just have to know what to say and how to say it. You then have to know how to get the house sold. You then have to know how to make the customer happy. These all require skills that you can learn. When you do that, what's going to happen? You already know what's going to happen. That person's going to do more transactions with you. The neighbors are going to see you sold the house. The other neighbors are going to call you. You're going to get referrals. Your business is going to build. This is how you build a real business of any sort, not just real estate. And yet, how many of you are believing that if you create a bunch of you know, YouTube videos, you become your town's mayor, that somehow the, you know, those prospective sellers are going to want to call you? Doesn't work that way, guys. There's research that's been out for years and years and years. I've seen these results many different ways, but here's the gist of it. When you are deciding to hire a roofer to fix your house, you need to hire a roofer, fix your house, there's the roof leak. The first thing you're going to do is, do I know a roofer? Do I know a roofer that I trust that I've used before to fix a roof in my, uh, a leak in my roof? If you do, that's who you're calling, right? Okay, if you don't, you're going to go ask a trusted friend or advisor. You're going to ask your neighbor. Hey, neighbor, I need a roofer, got a leak, who do you know? You might, you know, Whoever, trusted friend or advisor could be your real estate professional. Trusted friend or advisor could be somebody, your neighbor, like I said, or your family member, somebody. You're going to ask for advice. 
directly for a referral. And the third thing you're going to do, if you don't know somebody, if your trusted friends or advisors don't know somebody, then and only then might you respond to a marketing message. Might then you Google for something or something like that, right? Isn't that how you go about making decisions? So here's the percentages. I don't remember exactly, so I'm kind of making this up, but this is the gist of it. Virtually everybody makes their decision who they're going to hire based on who they used previously. I'm not, I'm not going to try to guess the numbers because my the COVID's fogging my brain, but that here's how it worked when I've seen this presented before. Something like 6% of everyone chooses who they're going to hire to perform any kind of service. And this is focused on services, not buying products. Um, it's like 6 or 7% based on marketing and advertising. It was nothing. Everybody else is choosing who they're going to work with based on who they worked with before and had a positive experience and a referral from a trusted friend or advisor. You guys get it? So why the hell are so many of you gravitating towards the advertising and marketing? I know why. Because you aren't realizing that you have to choose between being rich and being famous. And many of you are allowing your egos to manipulate you into believing that you need to be famous. Especially true if you're in your 20s. It's just true. What I'm saying is especially true. If you're in your 20s, convincing you that you have to be an influencer is easy. Because you want to have that acceptance. You want to have that recognition. It's in all of us. All of us experience that when we're that age. Just, you know, not just this generation. It's every generation. When we're younger, we want the acceptance from the crowd. We want to be told that we're okay, that we're good enough, that we're, you know, and that's the reason you see a lot of people in their 20s doing a lot of things to try to get a lot of attention because they're looking for that level of acceptance. But you've got to realize when it comes to doing, buying and selling real estate, it comes down to your skills. So do not look for shiny objects. Do not look for shortcuts. Make a decision whether it be, whether it be rich or whether it be famous. And that's all I got for you today. <laughs> So guys, thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals. Hopefully I presented these wealth destroying points in a clear enough way that you can internalize some of them. I bet some of you came up with some other things that you've heard of or thought of that I should have included. Include those in the comments. Let me know what else I, what I should have also included. Uh, Julie and I are always updating our notes and we'll present this information sometime and again in the future. You know, there's other things not being properly insured. We talked about health insurance. You could talk about an umbrella policy. You could talk about errors and emissions insurance. That's another thing. Um, you know, I didn't put this in the list, but I mean, I have in the past. You know, divorce. Divorce is an amazingly great way of wiping out your net worth. So choosing the wrong spouse, that's a great way of destroying uh, potential net worth. Developing unhealthy habits, gambling, alcohol, all those types of things. So I could have made the list a lot longer, but these are the lists, this is the list I think is most relevant for people. So if you want ever-increasing long-term levels of success, first of all, start with the idea that you can have it. You don't have to experience booms and busts. You don't have to suffer the indignity of you know, having it all, then losing it all, and then trying to build it back again. Eventually, by the way, you will run out of time, right? You will get old enough that it will not be you will not have the time to rebuild it. So here's an idea. Build it. Keep building it. Don't destroy it. And that is definitely in alignment with the points I'm hopefully going to send or share with you guys the rest of this week, um, provided that I am healthy enough to do so. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.